At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Alright, welcome on to the return of one Daniel LaRue. And we got to get into this 15 and 60 mailbag. Got a ton of great questions here. And let's begin with the Utah Jazz. They won today. I watched their game against Cleveland. The Jazz have now moved to 16 and 7 with that win. They they gave up a big run in the fourth to let the Cavs get within striking distance. Cavs even took a, a lead or two. And Rudy Gobert was unbelievable ending the game for the Jazz. He probably had five or six sequences where he just put a lid on the rim. There was one where the Cavs actually ended up scoring on a Garland floater in which Gobert, I think he stopped Mobley, he stopped Allen, he stopped another drive. Nobody from the Jazz got the rebound. He had to run all the way out to the baseline, save it in. Then no Jazz was able to get that loose ball. And finally, Garland got this floater. Uh, but the Cavs got nothing around the basket basically at the end. And Gobert also had an offensive rebound and a nasty lefty dunk on Jared Allen for the, the winning margin. Um for the Cavs this isn't the Cavs section but uh Donovan Mitchell gets his drive completely erased by Evan Mobley with about 20 seconds left Mitchell is down complaining to the referees behind the play they have a five on four down one with 20 seconds left and Rubio and JB Bickerstaff both call time out Mitchell not even in the screen and then they end up getting a Garland step back 30 footer uh, that ended up not being close then Gobert and Royce O'Neal combined to tip away the rebound so Jazz that's a, that's a tough win Cle- winning in Cleveland's actually pretty tough right now so they are eight and two since the last 15 and 16 then the rest of these stats predate uh this game second in the NBA net rating 11.6 first in offense 118.3 and net eighth on defense they are top 10 in both projecting for 55 wins which would be second in the Western Conference and they will be making the playoffs by both of these metrics so what do we have first here Danny well we can do this question from Ryan underscore Gary um should and could Utah do a two-for-one trade in order to raise their playoff ceiling or the role players not very desirable and I think that it is largely a challenge of their role players not being super desirable if you're thinking about player plus contract I mean Jordan Clarkson last year's sixth man of the year and yes there's reason to believe that he will be better moving forward than he is right now but Clarkson fully guaranteed for next year at 13.3 million player option which means and fully guaranteed for 23-24 as well and Clarkson in his age 29 season so the idea is that that he's you know not each year is probably going to be a little bit worse you know randomness notwithstanding and Ingles is an expiring contract makes 13 million this year O'Neal is is on a reasonable contract but so there are two problems for the Jazz one is they don't have a lot of like interesting salary ballast and then another is they don't really have a ton of sweeteners like I don't know that Jared Butler has done enough you know maybe teams like summer league they like the film on him 
Pascal basically got dumped on the, the, the Warriors didn't really want him. Udoka Azubuki, we weren't even sure if he was going to get his option picked up. So they don't have a ton in the way of sweeteners to to really make that. I think the what you're really hoping for for the Jazz is that the upgrade is actually what they've been getting from Rudy Gay. Yeah, I think so. And the other thing, too, is just they are deep enough that there aren't really any obvious holes to fill. That's a, one of the reasons that you go for a big trade is, hey, we have this one lineup spot that's just killing us. If we can bring in someone competent here, it'd be such a massive upgrade. But they don't really have any slots like that in particular. So, yeah, I, I would say the Jazz are one of the I mean, I think just where they are as a team, you know, they are kind of in go for it mode. But I think another thing that's going to start coming into stark relief here is a couple of factors on the trade market. One is just simply that there aren't that many players who are going to be available for trade. This free agent class is terrible. We thought last year's free agent class was terrible. We thought 2020 was terrible. Well, 2022 is probably even worse than either of those. And particularly for veterans who are at key positions on the wing that teams are going to want to fortify, right? We've talked about teams like the Bucks or Charlotte. Uh, I think Hollinger and I talked about them on our, maybe it was you and me, I can't remember, on our Twitter spaces, but there really isn't any of those combo forwards or wing types who are going to be free agents who then might be available in trade. That's what a lot of these teams need. And then also throw in that I think a lot of the trade market right now is being paralyzed by the Ben Simmons situation. And so until that reaches a resolution, I think teams aren't necessarily going to want to make their move because they don't know what the landscape is going to look like, or they might be thinking about getting involved in that trade. So I, I that's just an overall remark on the trade market hopefully jazz fans uh don't feel shortchanged to discuss that in the jazz section but well and to tie in with that um justin flanagan asked if uh, the odds were not doing this as well i felt that the jazz make it past it on without a significant roster move i think the odds are pretty high because they're not going to trade any of their three best players i think we feel pretty confident in that and and anybody outside of that is actually some of them are kind of difficult to make a move especially because the jazz would be looking to upgrade and another consideration there is that utah is already out two future first-round picks. Now, we could be pretty confident that the Memphis pick is going to convey this year because the Jazz are damn good. And then that would mean that OKC, the pick to OKC, presumably conveys in 24, though could push depending on injuries and everything else. So it's hard for them to move a first. I've mentioned they don't have a ton of sweeteners. And the other players are kind of, some of them are eye of the beholder. You know, does the team want Bogdanovich? Do they really value that? It's a it's a real challenge to kind of like see that kind of thing. So I, I think it's I think it's pretty unlikely. And then we can do this one from from uh, Jay Murray Abraham. Would you have Golden State, Utah, and Phoenix as the only West contenders? And I think it's important to define terms there. I think those are heavily favored to be the th- the top three seeds in the Western Conference. But being a contender to actually win the conference, to win three best of seven series, that is can be at times, you know, having home court is a huge advantage. But that is also about how are these teams in April and May and that opens the door a little bit more for the Lakers to figure it out for the Clippers if Kawhi Leonard comes back and for the Nuggets though MPJ's injury and surgery makes that more fraught yeah and also you have to take a little bit of a discount from Jamal Murray's performance uh, based on his return from injury as well so sure yeah, I, I mean I think the Lakers are the only team that I still think might be able to get there, uh, at, at least without some major moves at, at this point. But yeah, I mean, I, I think they're 
I would consider them more in the dark horse category than the contender category. So yeah, I, I think those three, as of now, a lot can change. But it, certainly, let's put it this way. If you if the playoffs started right now, yes, I would be very, very certain that one of those three teams would come out of the West. All right, uh, let's move on to San Antonio Spurs. Got a lot of Spurs questions here. Yeah, in San Antonio, they had that win over the Warriors over the weekend. They're 8-13, 4-5 since the last 15-60. and 60. Barely below water net rating, which is an interesting thing. Negative uh, 0.3 is 19th in the league, and that's because of their defense. They're 11th the defense and an unsurprising, I would say, 25th in offense. 538's Raptor model is less optimistic on the Spurs. 29% chance of making the playoffs. Projects they'll finish 10th in the West. ELO, more optimistic, 49% chance of San Antonio making it in. And we could start with this one just briefly from Cocoon Man. The chances of the Spurs winning two play-in games, and that's, I think, where the rubber meets the road, is that San Antonio, wonderful defensive personnel, but extremely limited offensive personnel. And it's hard for me to expect them to finish better than ninth or 10th in the regular season. Like It's possible, but it would be difficult for me. So not only do they have to win two play-in games, but at least one of them would have to be on the road. They're not going to have the advantage of only having to win one out of two. So I think it would be extremely hard for them to get in. Not impossible, but difficult. Yeah, it depends who the, they would be facing it as well, I think. You know, I, I think it wouldn't be crazy, but, you know, probably something on the order of about where you're typical. I, I mean, I, I guess, would you say eh, they'd probably be a little worse than last year's 10th seeded team? It probably would end up uh, about there, right? And they could end up facing a relatively similar path uh, other than Golden State. You could potentially see the three of the four playing teams being the same so far this year with the Lakers and the Grizz yeah. also being in there. Uh, so let's go to this one from Eli underscore Dink. Um, we got a lot well, of well, questions here, so, about so that. I, I, thought, I, thought, I thought we weren't quite done with that. Uh, you know, if if they were, again, getting into the play-in right now, you know, I'd put it on the order of like 15% chance of them making it, something like that. All right, so yeah, so I just want to, since they asked what the chances are, I want to actually answer it. Yeah. So basically, we had got a series of questions about Thaddeus Young. And so um, Eli's question was basically like to hear opinions on a trader buyout. Could the Warriors get him with assets and and or like chances that he gets moved to a contender? And Thaddeus Young, like 14.2 million is a is both a kind of a, a worthwhile number for him, but also I would say a problem for a bigger trade because that is enough money that potential trade partners have to really send something back. There aren't teams that have like 10 million laying around. And my thought has long been that the best path for San Antonio to get real value for Thaddeus Young in a trade was to take on a negative longer term contract. So basically then the other team, hey, you're you're getting an upgrade and you're saving money either for this year, but, but almost definitely for the future. And something that I've been trying to kind of reconcile and that is, well, okay, what team really wants both of those things and is willing to willing to compensate for it? And there aren't many kind of like screaming deals that partially because a lot of the best teams have their financial ducks in a row or aren't necessarily going to make that move right now. Like, could I see Phoenix at some point moving off of one of their guaranteed contracts for next year to mitigate their luxury tax payment? Yes, but I don't think they're going to do like a Crowder or Sharich for Thaddeus Young trade right now because, well, a Sharich trade for Young trade would make them better, but that's kind of weird for the Spurs. Well, and the other thing for the Spurs too is that Young is starting to contribute at least a, a little bit more now. Oh, for sure. And again, they haven't really shown that they are interested in doing those sorts of future focused straights. I mean, they were 
on track for about the 10th seed last year too we didn't see him trade Rudy Gay or Patty Mills for example so I I I think the odds of it are I, I would put it you know around the 25 30 percent range or so but and also i think a couple of the teams that could really use thaddeus young brooklyn or milwaukee don't really seem to have the matching salary that would work for that all right uh one more here uh wevin cashburn if the spurs were able to add a good but not great wing like tj warren and shift mcbuckets to the bench how good could they be and you know i think they would still be in that play in range uh, and warren would add a little bit of scoring but not quite the playmaking uh, that they need uh, i would say and yeah uh, I, you know i wonder how warren would look in the spurs system uh, also warren I, I mean that's the example that he chose there could be others obviously but uh how he looks coming back from this foot issue after having been out a year it'll be another question uh, as well uh and then last one here dennis chase you think this young spurs would be significantly better in the second half than they are now maybe a 500 record after the all-star break yeah i think that that could totally be possible I mean, they're playing truly good ball right now that win over the warriors was really impressive uh, admittedly warriors on a back-to-back but still uh they first have won four straight now and i think they can they, they can hang around in the 500 area uh, all year they've been when they were four and 13 they had a much better point differential than their record indicated now they're eight and 13 yeah and san antonio is still underperforming their point differential by the third largest margin in the entire nba um pacers are number one jazz are number two there and so you could you could see they don't even have to be that much better than they've been to have the results turn differently. I don't know, Nate, if you were thinking yesterday about remember that um, NBA cast game we did when Dejounte Murray went completely crazy defensively against the Warriors. I was thinking about that a little bit on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, with the with the eight steals. Uh, let's get to the Kings now. Ten and fourteen, five and six since the last fifteen and sixty. They are I think four. Is that four and three? Yeah, since the, in the Alvin Gentry era, which given the fact that they've had a lot of injuries, is not bad. Uh, negative 3.8 net rating is not great though that's 25th in the nba uh 18th on offense that's actually fallen uh, over the last few weeks uh 26th on defense that also has fallen a little bit they project for 34 wins which be 13th in the conference and that would obviously be deemed a, a disaster it seems like there's getting to be a little bit of separation now even below the spurs they have a better record than the spurs but the spurs have quite outperformed them so far this year and at as a result, they have 14% chance to the playoffs per Raptor and 22% per ELO, where by contrast, the Spurs are 29 and 49% respectively. Where do you want to start with this one? Well, so I, I think we, we got a couple of different questions, um, one from Joel Browder and one from Felonius Hunk. And I think we will start with the one from Joel because they're on the same on the same kind of thing. But uh, Joel's is more open ended. So I think it's a more interesting place to start. And what, it, what his question is, is, what is the path forward for the Kings at this point? Move Barnes, Holmes, Heald, Bagley. And my answer is more so for Sacramento than almost any team in the league at the present time. There have been clear ones clear ones in the, path, in the past. It depends on what offers are on the table. Now, if a team is willing to go to that kind of full bore couple of first round picks for Harrison Barnes, yes, I think, I, I think you make that trade. He's under contract for next year. That descending deal that Vlade negotiated, I think that actually was is looking is looking good for the Kings. It's part of why we thought a team could get some real value there. And while Barnes helps the Kings a lot, it's the question, and he might end up wanting to resign and everything else. It's like, well, if you could get some real value for him, you do that. And with Heald, he's under contract for two years after this year. So you do that. And for Bagley, it's if, if, if anybody offers you anything of material value for him, I think you probably do it. But you, you might not, because I don't even know if he's going to get a qualifying offer, considering how high that qualifying offer is going to be, even without the starter criteria. 
But for me, it's it's offer it's offer determinative because you don't need to sell. It's not like this team is so is so good that selling off is going to get you the draft pick that you need. And it's not like they're so bad that you like that it's it's obvious to do it. But so, I, that's what I, that's where I would be with the main decision making at this point. So you don't think that they should hurt for Holmgren or brick for Banchero? No, <laughs> but those aren't bad. Those aren't those aren't bad. Oh man. Uh, yeah, I mean, Harrison Barnes is really, I would say, and the big problem for the Kings is like their players aren't playing well. Like Harrison Barnes and Rashawn Holmes, you know, age 29 and 28 season. Hilariously, this is also Buddy Heald's age 29 season. Uh, those are the only two guys in this team playing well right now. And, you know, Fox has started to come on slightly after a really rough start uh man i still can't get over harrison barnes with this 54 percent free throw rate that's just like it's just it's out of control uh given given where he was uh, early in his career didn't never get to the following yeah this has just been got to be such a depressing start for king's fans with just the way that their cornerstone guys have played on offense and for this team to be now below average in offense for fox at age 24 to look so good hal burton is having a worse statistical year this year than he did last year in his second year and doing that with a, a pretty low usage as well um davion mitchell yes i know everyone loves davion mitchell but this is age 23 season and he's got 45 percent true shooting it so he's he's not going to change their destiny as a franchise it looks like because he just needs to be a better offense player than that and hey as much as you want to talk about how he was setting the the culture for them defensively early like we said they're 26 in defense so it doesn't doesn't make that big a, of a difference actually that's i want to look that up what they are how he is or, or uh, how they are with him on the floor defensively whether he's actually made a difference for them actually oh, good a, good so when mitchell is on the floor the kings have a 109 defensive rating that's per cleaning the glass and when mitchell is off the floor that 109 goes up to 115 oh that actually is a pretty different uh, is how much uh, shooting luck is involved there some uh, opponents are shooting 33 percent when he's from three when he's on the floor and 35 and uh, uh, 35 so not, not a off. hugely significant amount actually now he goes against backups and uh, and all that so not not. Sh- yeah there's actually a bigger difference in rim success than anywhere else which is interesting that there's a, a big drop yeah. there uh all right what else we got here on the kings uh so i don't want to do a full scout but we got this question from will phelps about should the kings keep building around fox and one part of it is just like, okay, well, what else are you going to do? Like, are you going to make another trade? But to me, the the more fundamental question here is, it, do we think that the Aaron Fox can be, you know, the, can be the best offensive player on a good offense? And there were there are kind of two different elements in play there. One is, can you be the engine in the half court? And one is, can you be that guy in transition? And going back, I talked about this with John Charks on Real GM Radio a little over a week ago. I mean, it was two weeks ago about how that under Dave Yeager, that 18-19 season when the Kings, when Fox was on the floor and they had the ball in the half court, less than 74.5%, there was 74.4% of the time because they were running so damn much. Like that hasn't held, even if they've been a little bit better in half court um, proportion this year than they were the last couple. But so Fox, I think he can be, you know, he can be the guy who pushes it in transition, but we're getting more and more data, even with, you know, not amazing surrounding talent, but still, you know, like it's not like they're abysmal. That I don't think I don't think he can be the guy. You know, the him alone test can do you think that 
flopping De'Aaron Fox on a team with average surrounding offensive talent is going to drive a good team? No, I don't think he's a good enough pick and roll creator for that. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It, obviously, the first thing that's got to get better is his jump shooting. And then we also got the question about the trade of Harrison Barnes. And there are many teams that could use Harrison Barnes, but... I can't remember another time in NBA history when it seems like basically all of the teams that are good are kind of out of picks. And it goes, obviously, he would be a great fit, say, in, in Milwaukee or Brooklyn. Utah could trade two first-round picks, potentially, first available draft. They have some, a, a 2024 that goes out, but it's like top 10 protected. So Sacramento would be taking a risk there. Uh, they might have, the Utah might have to lower the protection on it. But, you know, Bogdanovich for Barnes could be an interesting one. Um, and two first-round picks. You know, Bogdanovich, not the greatest contract compared to Barnes. They make about the same money. You know who where Harrison Barnes would be an awesome fit, though, Danny? The Chicago Bulls. Ooh, yeah. Whole, wholeheartedly yeah, agree. Bulls have that 2022 first-rounder that uh, they can trade from Portland, and they are out two other picks aside from that, but they could trade a 2027. Uh, I don't think that they would be willing to include Patrick Williams in such a deal. Now, I mean, if I if you were the Bulls, would you just trade Patrick Williams and, you know, who else would it be? Probably Derek Jones Jr. Or, or Patrick Williams and Kobe White straight up for Harrison Barnes. Would you do that if you were the Bulls? Hmm, hmm. I mean, I, I think, hmm. like, if you get Harrison Barnes, you uh, you might start to have... That pushes you to a yeah, different you level. you might have to an argument of actually... Now, I would like to see how the Bulls match up against Milwaukee. Um, I, I'm very curious. I don't think they've played yet this year. Or if they did, it wasn't at full strength, and I didn't pay attention to it for that reason. But... That would be, I think that would be fascinating to see Harrison Barnes uh, on the Bulls. And I think you could make an, at least as I'm thinking of it, that he's the best reasonably attainable player. Right. And yeah, it's not a perfect fit, but like just adding to the overall talent. God, I think I might. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, I'm not like, I, I mean, I mean, I think mm. honestly, if Patrick Williams turns into Harrison Barnes someday, you'd probably be happy. I mean, like th there are many who think he has a little bit more of an upside than that. I'm not sure I agree. And, and if so, the, the chances of that are pretty low. And, he, and also, hey, by the way, he's out for the year, right? Like that, the fact that he is just going to miss an entire year uh barnes is someone that they could potentially extend as well eh, i'm uh yeah they got troy brown as an expiring contract they could throw into that also and then you could also hold on to some picks to make some other moves around the margins i i would very seriously consider that if i were chicago um i'm not sure whether you know what sacramento thinks of uh thinks of patrick williams Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress 
in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easier room slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us okay that's probably enough on on the, the king so let's move on here holy crap do we have a lot of blazers questions uh we haven't just they have a they have a theme though <laughs> um yeah blazers are 11 and 13 5 and 6 since the last 15 and 60 they've had some desultory losses negative 0.8 net rating is 20th third on offense still somehow but dead fucking last 30th on defense projecting still for the seventh seed 42 wins but they're really in this i would say probably performed at this point the worst of these teams that are kind of in this around 500 morass but had higher expectations going in group like the lakers mavs and nuggets in the west i would would say and obviously dame is out with this abdominal tendinopathy cj just messed up his ribs we don't know how long he's going to be out yet Uh, and that could be the type of thing where he tries to play through and doesn't doesn't play very well uh you know chauncey billups is constantly talking about their lack of effort etc and they have in fact moved on from neil o'shea saying that he violated the blazers code of conduct so basically the, he's got 12 million left on his contract and they're going to try and uh, recoup that money um that based on what we hear about uh, neil O'Shea, it's quite possible that he has violated the the code of contact conduct now my guess would be uh, i mean this is going way into the weeds here and i don't know how much people really care about neil guy not getting his money but presumably that 
employee handbook or whatever it is, their code of conduct also has various procedures internally as far as discipline and warnings and all that kind of stuff. And so to just, if this is the first like true warning that he's gotten or there just isn't any kind of an internal process whatsoever i mean maybe the language of his contract is specific and he violated that if it just says hey you violate the blazers code of conduct once uh but okay you know what does that mean that he like you know didn't replace the ink at the printer when it ran out of ink or something like you know there's this will be some interesting litigation to to follow i i hope it uh, just for my own uh understanding of these contracts I hope that it does become, you know, some of this stuff does become public. I would be very interested to see what a GM's contract actually looks like. But I, I'm guessing it probably won't get to that point. It, there's probably an arbitration clause in there too or, or, or whatever. Anyway, that, that's getting too far into the weeds. Let's hit some of these questions. Yeah, so we got a lot of different Olshay-related related questions. Um, do you want to kind of start with reflecting on his tenure or where they go from here? Because those are kind of the you two know, main threads. Uh, yeah, I guess we can do that. Uh, I think he had a reasonable tenure. You know, I, I when Hollinger and I did our organization rankings, I think they've consistently been an organization that I would consider in the top half of the NBA, and he obviously deserves a fair amount of credit for that. They have developed well. They have made a nice series of moves in 2015 remaining in contention obviously 2016 is the huge black mark on his record other than the moves they made in 2016 though and drafting zach collins number 10 overall in 2017 that was kind of the the one bullet that they had but they weren't gonna donovan mitchell came right after that they were gonna draft donovan mitchell already having cj and dame and maybe they could have the other thing you could maybe point to as an issue was the cj extension that they that he was just a little bit too obsessed with cj who was like his big find at number 10 overall very good pick by the way uh in 2013 i don't think anyone can argue with that so i I think he did a reasonable job i think it's also reasonable to say that things had kind of run their course they wanted to go in a different direction there are the interpersonal dynamics there as well um you know the pr had starting to fall started to fall apart and that's something that this is a market when you go back to the jailblazers days that you know i I think there's a little bit more of a cost for employing assholes in that market than maybe there is other places and neil obviously particularly with the the pr disaster with the the billups hire and all that you know had had a lot of egg on his face lately the billups hire to date has not worked i haven't really seen much from billups that has made me feel better other than that they're running a, a little bit more he tried this more aggressive defense they they i mean it's uh, uh, quite honestly it's unacceptable given the defensive personnel that they have and that they've added to be 30th in defense that's just not doing a good enough job of coaching i thought stats also though he probably needed to go but billups hasn't been the uh the guy so far and i think billups implementing this aggressive system just did not fit their personnel with Nurkic at center um particularly when they actually when Nurkic actually played uh previously I've been fine what's the their defensive rating with Nurkic out there is it like much better this year I'm guessing it probably isn't but I I haven't actually looked at that in a couple of couple of weeks it is a 110.2 when Nurkic is on the floor that's actually like significantly better (laughs) 
<laughs> um, yeah, it's it's one ten it's one ten point two on one nineteen point nine off. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I mean, maybe you you can argue that it, it hasn't been that bad. His system hasn't been that bad with with Nurkic either. But regardless, they're still thirtieth in defense. They shouldn't be. That was a failure. So ultimately, I think Olshay was a solid GM. I understand how why his time had kind of passed. I also don't think that uh, that he is the man to take them through a potential rebuild a potential dame trade etc i think he he basically with the nance trade which again a move that i liked I, you know at the covington trade i like that move too you know he, he he got i think twice two summers in a row some of the best defending forwards on the market and just the, they weren't able to improve the defense you know so uh you know the the Powell trade was a weird one I would say you know that didn't make a lot of the idea of like bringing him in to start at the three and and Billups I think has had a point when he's kind of alluded in the media that they just don't have enough length and size that like the idea that what we're going to do when we already have Damon CJ is bring in a 6-4 guy to start at the three that didn't make any sense so again it was a mixed tenure by O'Shea I understand why they moved on from him um you know I, I I don't I wouldn't necessarily say that, you know, once they got Damon CJ, that this team has particularly underperformed since then. You know, like, it's not like, oh, we got Damon CJ, we should be like in the West Finals every year. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't say that. Those guys just aren't that good. Yeah. I mean, and when you compare them to, especially with the superior surrounding talent to like Clay and Steph, like they're, they're not as good a combination of players and they have weaker surrounding talent. And, I'll, I'll also bring up, you know, there were a couple of flubs like the Caleb Swanigan <laughs> pick, a player that I never really saw a place for in the NBA. But then, then the Nurkic trade, I mean, that was fabulous yeah. for them. They traded Mason Plumlee for Nurkic in a first, and Nurkic was the better player in the in that. They they took Harry Giles, and that didn't work. Or Giles was the pick made with that with that selection, I believe, but they traded it between then and then. But I so with with O'Shea, definitely some positives. Um, and and certainly, I mean, 2016 is 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 one of the more prominent negatives. Just throwing so much bad money out there, both the bad money that they actually did spend and the bad money that he intended to spend. That the players turned them down to to do bad to do to do in other places, you know, like that. Alan Crab, the Alan Crab situation is just so wild because they, you know, they they matched on this terrible contract, <laughs> and then they traded him for Nicholson, who is somehow an even arguably an even more terrible contract because they basically cut I mean, him. That, that was a great getting rid of crab was a great trade though that was an oh absolutely good Be, trade. because even though they're paying andrew nicholson for this season and two seasons more uh, because of the stretch provision it's still a lot better than giving paying crab the full money that that he was owed and so but the path forward is is really challenging one for me with the blazers because one as josh and denang brought up it's the backwards blazers where to me whenever you're going to fire or replace your coach you should be having the question about should the person who's hiring the coach is that the right person for the job and i think the blazers completely screwed that up because you don't fire your general manager months after making that decision when the team is basically performing to expectations overall well i i would, say, a little bit I would say they're quite below expectation eh, i mean but O'Shea, yeah. like well, well, i don't and also, think i mean what there is happened. this mix, misconduct aspect right i mean i know all the cynics are like but the misconduct yeah. isn't new like the, well, i mean especially if you go with this, this stuff they that, did this investigation i mean who who I, who knows i mean i know i know cynics like john and and you are saying hey this is basically just an excuse to not have to pay him but oh no i i think i think it is an excuse to not have to pay him but what the the reason for me to be somewhat skeptical there is that it doesn't seem like the conduct i mean dan dick the stuff dan dick i said on podcasts and everything else like it doesn't seem like the way neil o'shea behaves is anything new but now whether that got all the way to the people who would want to push this that could that's a potentially different question but 
no matter how it happened, that that doesn't matter as much right now. You have Phillips as the coach. We're going to have to see how that works out. I don't think that ownership is going to be willing. If the next general manager thinks that he is clearly not the person, you might be on kind of a Luke Walton timeline where you have to take a couple of years until they're willing to kind of pay both. And But the bigger challenge, though, for me is... Of course, Lillard is the main domino, but I kind of want to skip him because he that's his decision in a way that it is not for the others. But I think that what you do with Nurkic and what you do with Covington, like, first of all, Lillard is is the centerpiece of that. But like, I also don't think that the market for those guys is going to be strong enough that it's like, oh, we have to sell. Incidentally, paralleling what happened with Covington when the Rockets straightened into the Blazers, where I was like, okay, that was a, it was a robust market for Covington. They got a reasonable return and you have to do it. I don't know that Nurkic or Covington, if they wanted to retool, would or CJ, of course, because of the money that he's owed, would really generate the kind of return that would make you really think about doing something like that. No, I I agree. And I've just, I I think, you know, Bobby Mark said this the other day that I think it really, for the organization, more even than maybe for Lillard, that it's time to really explore what might be out there. And then maybe if you move Lillard, then you also can get something for some of these other win now guys let's get to the suns 19 and 4 their 18 game win streak did finally come to an end uh, against golden state in a very predictable loss on the second night of a back-to-back without devin booker but they are still 11 and 1 since the last 15 and 60 third in the nba plus 6.5 net rating they are eighth on offense and second on defense as much as i've said that you know i don't see them as a top five defense type of team they've continued to prove me wrong on that they project for the number one seed 58 wins they will be making the playoffs uh this is an interesting one I mean, there, we have a lot of awesome suns questions here um let's start with this one quickly uh daniel boseberg where would you have monty williams in your coach rankings and I, I would have him very high probably would have him in the top five i would imagine i think last year we hadn't when john and i did it you know i can't remember it was probably about mid-season or so you know it, it was uh they really started taking off and, and i like what he had done a lot but now also given the fact they made it to the finals and they're kicking ass again this year i i would i think i'd have to really go through it but i think top five seems pretty safe to me yeah i i, I might be a little or i have to really work out who i have where but Monty's done a, an unambiguously great job there and uh, in terms of the playoff stuff one challenge for me in terms of evaluating money williams there is that they did get some real injury luck and so like it's it's easier to take advantage of like that iteration of the denver nuggets and the the really really shorthanded clippers not that some other teams did and so he did make some good adjustments but they had more fertile ground for it so i'm I'm not going to say based on that run, yes, they did exceed expectations that like, oh, that was proof that he's a nails playoff coach or anything like that. Yeah, but there now, I think we talked about it, that his team is not necessarily a team where there's a lot of adjustments to be made in terms of who you're playing and stuff like that. Um, True. And, and I thought they did reasonably well in terms of the way they were defending in the playoffs and some of the adjustments that were made. You know, I don't remember them just like kind of blowing things with obvious stuff in the playoffs um uh felix asks uh how you'd see a warrior suns matchup playing out i think that series would vi- we'll have to see how the warriors look when clay thompson comes back 
Um, I thought that certainly the first of the two matchups between the teams were more telling than the second one. I think that they caused problems for Steph Curry, that Steph Curry, uh, we may talk about more about this in the Golden State section whenever we get to that, because we're kind of, we're dragging on here, so we may just take this out to a part two. But uh, I think the way that they force him inside the arc, that their length was able to bother him, I think they do defend Steph about as well as you can. I think Aiton did a nice job getting out on the perimeter and showed that he was able to deal with Steph on switches when the Warriors tried to run off ball stuff they did a nice job of top siding stuff so that, that didn't really work that well I, I was very impressed with their defense on stuff and I talked about that in the potting diary last week so I think home court would be extremely important there you know the Warriors do have a veteran team that you know, maybe there's a little bit more of a figuring things out the Warriors also I, I thought this was pretty key and I've, I've made this point a number of times I think getting clay back and and we'll see what he looks like on this end might be almost as important for their defense because the big problem at the end of that game on tuesday was the warriors just didn't couldn't switch with chris paul and that's what they the warriors have traditionally defended chris paul quite well because of their ability to do that and kevon looney can't be out there due to his offense and he's also not quite as good a switch defender as he was back in 2018 when they matched up with paul in the uh, West Finals and Otto Porter is just too upright and slow. Andre Guadalla wasn't available. Uh, Damian Lee is probably not a guy that you really want in your closing lineup either. So if you can go with Steph, Clay, Draymond, Andrew Wiggins, and you know, maybe with the shooting of Clay, you could get away with Iguodala in the closing lineup. Um, you know, maybe if it's Porter, but you also have Clay, it could, it could work potentially. But yeah, being able to switch with uh, on Chris Paul and Devin Booker at the end of games and make those guys go one on one to beat you. That's what I think the Warriors will need to do to win games in that matchup when it's close at the end, which I think these are two pretty evenly matched teams. I could see it being pretty close that way. But yeah, also I think home court is going to be massive. I think those are two teams that have really good home court advantages. So uh you do you have anything to show you have, we haven't really talked at all uh, about either of those two matchups from last week so the lingering question that i have for the suns and this kind of goes into mc walter's question is like kind of what moves if any do the suns need to make to ready themselves for playoff series is i don't know if they would play that much but I would love to have a center option that not necessarily even that you go with like a switching scheme, though yeah. I think that would be worthwhile to try. But first of all, some of the JaVale minutes were a real challenge and not only just Juan Toscano Anderson dunking all over him, which was incredible, but also because I could see, especially once Clay gets back, even Aiden having some real challenges. And last year, Aiden did a really good job in favorable circumstances in matchups that made sense for him. But the Warriors, if it gets to a circumstance where Draymond's playing at center and they have enough shooting, if Poole can be survivable in those lineups and some of the other stuff, that could be a real challenge for them. And so I would love to have another option. I mean, I think you're still going to be leaning towards the guys you already have. But another theory defensively, especially when they have so many things that really make sense, like Mikhail Bridges, I thought, did a wonderful job. And the, the Suns did a really, the Suns understood kind of what the threat assessment work. I think they did a really good job in both games against the Warriors. It fell apart a little bit, but that wasn't why they, why the third quarter happened in, in the second game. So I don't know off the cuff who that is because I don't think you give up a ton to make it happen. It's such a shame that Sharich isn't healthy because he would have been a, would have been a worthwhile one to try, even if he's imperfect. But I would love to see an option in that vein. 
so that if oh if or the other part of it is like what happens if DeAndre Ayton gets in foul trouble because they like I mean they don't have they don't really have another guy that can do that stuff either yeah and I think they did go with Cam Johnson at center at the start of the second and fourth quarters in that first game in Phoenix and I thought that worked better than having JaVale out there I think you even when it was Jordan Poole uh, coming off of screens and JaVale trying to grab I mean Poole was on fire in that game but JaVale really struggled uh let's see here I think that's probably all we got uh, time for here on the Suns okay anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns you can customize. Things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Casey, we didn't get as many questions uh, on them. What are their fundamentals? The Thunder are now six and sixteen, and a dispiriting one and ten since the last fifteen and sixty. Partially due to the just sheer historic ass kicking at the hands of the Memphis Grizzlies, they are now twenty eighth in net rating, negative ten point eight, even filtering out garbage time. They're below a point per possession on offense, ninety nine point nine offensive rating, twenty second in defense. They're not going to make the playoffs. Five thirty eight projects that they will tie with the Rockets for 14th in the Western Conference. And we can start with a question from Ryoga tying in with John Hollinger's piece. Um, how long realistically can Sam Presti keep tr- uh, trading assets and having losing seasons before getting Colangelo'd? And John's piece was very tongue in cheek about, you know, like that. And I, the one of the pieces or podcasts that I've wanted to do for a long time is remembering where the Sixers were when Colangelo took over and all of the missteps that led to the process looking worse now when it wasn't the stuff that Presti did. Or not Presti, sorry, um, Hinky, different Sam. And one, there are a couple of big differences. One, Sam Presti is significantly better at playing the media game and dealing with ownership. You know, that was, remember, that was a very, that was a newer ownership group that was a team that, that group that hadn't really had as much success. And so it was easier for them to tilt one direction. And then the other part of it is that Hinky didn't play the media game as well. And so it was, he didn't have as many allies as Sam Presti does. So I think he will have a lot of latitude to make this happen. And remember, as bad, like, as, bad as they were for parts of last year, they still didn't end up with an elite pick. The hope is that Josh Giddy will be just as good as the players that they could have taken higher if they had had better lottery luck. But this is this is kind of the one and a half year of this reboot. 
Well, you throw in Presti's history as well, having built a contender already. Sure. You throw in that the local media in Oklahoma City isn't nearly as voracious as in Philly. Uh, you throw in that it's a smaller market. You throw in that it's not a new ownership group. You throw in that it's not as close to New York, frankly, uh, as philadelphia is uh, all that i think there's not going to be a ton of pressure and also let's keep in mind too uh, okc lost that game because they had a bunch of guys out that's why they got yes just completely destroyed it in that so badly i think you know when shay has been around they've been competitive enough like they're probably not uh, we'll see whether they end up having the worst record in basketball this year i think and we'll see how much they try and manipulate things as well but i i think uh so the question is how long can he keep trading assets and having losing seasons before getting calendula they don't really have any more assets to trade at this point i would imagine that next year they'll still continue to try to bring more draft picks in they have more draft picks how many draft picks they have next year i can never remember they have oh a mere four uh (laughs) well although the detroit one and the atlanta one Oh, oh, so oh, I would say in, in, yeah, in, yeah, sorry, in 22, I would expect that they'll have their own. They will have the Clippers. That one they have to have. They will have the Suns pick, and then they will not get the, the, the Pistons pick. So they'll have one top, and then they'll have one mid, and then they'll have one late. Yeah, perfect. So, yeah, nothing too crazy this year. And the other question that we got from uh, Red Fork Lawyer uh, oh, but but to answer that first question, I think I think they'll just make the picks next year. You know, if it's say they'll get to the point even where they have enough young guys, where the young guys who suck they won't play them anymore. You know, your your Pokus, for example, and then the year after that, twenty three off season is when they'll start to try to bring in some veterans and get more respectable at that point in time. Now, if they don't get a top three pick either the next two years i mean you've got you know a top three that the people really, really seem excited about this year and then you've got Wembiana and uh scoot henderson the year after that i mean obviously projecting all this this far is a little bit of a fool's errand but you know if they don't get a guy who really looks like a future superstar then you know maybe it continues but i don't think so and the point red fork lawyer made was this idea of like oh hey what do they have too many picks to actually make i i disagree i mean like do do they have even if you figure at best they're going to have a 50 percent batting average on these picks and there's three per year so you're adding you know one and a half to two guys who might actually be good you just got to use your playing time and figure out who those guys are going to be eventually well and, and not only that but sam presti should be willing to do something that i've criticized teams for before which is that if one of these players doesn't work move on from them earlier yeah. rather than later and i don't i don't know exactly who that is that can be outright cutting them or trying to make a trade that'll come up in, in another yeah. a, a question soon enough and so some of them will be will be great and some of them will not and and you can do that i mean i was a firm supporter in the rockets taking four guys on rookie scale contracts this year and the other weird part for okc here is that they don't actually have that many players right now on their roster that you say oh yeah three years from now they're definitely going to be a part of this you know they have gideon shea and yeah. you know optimus will have poku and maybe trey yeah. man and Ty Trey, trey man had a few strides lately but, yes you know. but so but so it's they're not in a circumstance like was that the wolves there was some team a couple of years ago that had like nine guys on rookie scale contracts that all had like a place within the franchise okc's not there yet and also having this many picks 
you can at, you can trade those either to sweeten a, a, a different deal or to move up in the draft or to shift them to future years. You can do all sorts of different things with them. And I also like OKC's diversified portfolio there much better than like, uh, this was a criticism I had of New Orleans' stuff where it was like, oh, look at all the picks they have. And I thought they were all by owed to to them by good teams though we'll see we'll see how the lakers turn out but that's a different story for a different part of this day so i i think that the thunder are in a really good spot overall with that kind of stuff i don't think they need to to worry about it too much right now but let's move on to the just mentioned new orleans pelicans they are seven and 18 but a far more respectable five and six since the last 15 and 60 even so 27th in net rating bottom five in both offense 26 and defense 29 and i firmly i've said this for a while i think i think the raptor model is just too optimistic on the pelicans it says that they have a 20 percent chance of being the playoffs and uh 30 expects them to get 35 wins the idea that even with zion i don't think this team is that that good um but so let's let's get to there there are a couple of a couple of interesting questions for them um we could do this one i i think we do this one a little bit quickly from at phelps a lot can the pelicans make the play in and my answer is yes they can make the play in because it looks like the burden of making the play in is not going to be that high i don't expect them to but they can yeah well let's we should discuss first the latest news on zion's foot sure oh yeah that's true and so the latest is uh, middle of last week he experienced some pain in the foot not to the point where they're actually going to redo any imaging which uh, i found a little curious and you know who knows what the health relationship their updates on him have to the truth because obviously it seems very clear that they his camp wants to keep things very close to the vest for whatever reason and so that's forced the organization to kind of tie themselves into knots here but he tried to ramp up to four and four and five and five and was getting some soreness and so it's unclear whether he's able to restart it sounded like they're gonna at least delay his him i shouldn't say his return but delay the next phase of his ramping up or continuing to try to ramp up for another week or so and i mean again that's just we still have no idea when the surgery happened but this is not supposed to be taking this long so it's starting to feel it's december 5th as we record this now you start to wonder about whether he even plays in in uh this month as well it doesn't seem like with the my guess would be if he starts ramping up again it'll be at least two weeks before you see him after that and obviously we've said at least and it's uh been a lot more than at least since then but yeah, so what else we got here uh, on the Pels? I interrupted your train of thought there. But so on to, to on Phelps' question, can they make the play in? Yeah, I don't think that the line for getting the 10th seed is going to be that high. It'll probably be, a, I think it'll be a little under 500, I think. And so can they? Yes. Will they? No, I don't, I don't expect them to. Yeah, I would say so, particularly because I think there seems to be a pretty clear delineation here. You know, the Wolves are playing well. Now, perhaps an injury could really knock down what it would take to get into that 10th seed but I, sure. as of right now i the way things are trending i don't think that that would change it and again i would be surprised if the wool if the pels are able to go 500 from here on out and even if they do what would that put them if they go 500 from here on out then they would be uh 12 games under so that'd be like 34 and 48 yes that doesn't seem like it would get it done no no it's it's oh, John, that's 14 uh, i think it's under, yeah. 30, Yes, it's 30, I think it's 35. Yeah, 35 and 47. Yeah, I mean, maybe that could get you there, but it doesn't. Maybe. But I, I mean, then if it's there, then the, the Kings will be smelling blood too, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Um, but so, okay, the, we got a couple different questions. We can do this one from golf. Um, what is the path for Brandon Ingram to be more than a score on a non-playoff team? Can he be the second or third best player in a contender? And I have become less optimistic about this over time. I mean, Ingram, I brought this up when we were in the awards pod. We were talking about most disappointing players. And he's only played in 18 games, but 53% true shooting, 46% on twos in the early going. There are two two big things that Ingram would do to, to up to up his place. And he has improved, I would say, somewhat defensively over the course of his career. But I think there's some still some real room to grow there. Like the idea that he could do one of the things well that a forward, that a forward could do. So like maybe that'd be... Help defense, I think, is a, a place that Ingram could really improve. His shot, the steps forward that he's taken under Fred Vincent does seem like some of that is very real. So then you can you can shift it. And then another part of it is is mentality. That like we, this came up a lot last year that he takes an ungodly amount of long twos, contested twos off the dribble, and most of those are unnecessary. Like somebody's gonna have to take bad shots sometimes. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it on is this a team. It is. It, it, I I don't know. That yeah, that's why are. I was focusing. That's why I was focusing more on last year's right, team right. than this. Okay, fair enough. Because last year, last year's teams had had better shots and and all that, and he was still taking a lot of the a lot of that crap. Um, you know, I, I think he a big problem that I've had for him, he's tantalized a lot of people with his passing ability, even going back to the Lakers. Oh, he's showing so much growth in pick and roll. Da da da. Watch out. And but he never has been able to put enough pressure on the rim to get to the foul line a ton. Like his last Lakers year, he got to the foul line a lot, but his usage was a little bit different there. You know, he and he was he just was was more athletic. He's more focused on getting the rim because that's what he had. Then he makes the All Star team in 1920, pretty high free throw rate. Then that's down more now in concert with the rest of the league, but. He really is not the guy who puts enough pressure on the defense to draw to and make a play. You look at how they've played without Zion. If Brandon Ingram really were an all-star caliber player, these guys would have been better. Um, And yes, he has a lot of pressure to deal with. But I, you just haven't seen much growth from him for, since that first year in New Orleans. And uh, and then obviously the defense as well, which we, we've lamented for a long time he's got at a career low in block and steal rate so far this year when you hope that he would actually be doing more as a help defender uh he also not really a great rebounder either there's just the, the overall floor game i mean that so those like getting to the basket more setting up his teammates more and actually being better in the floor game like i don't know if he's ever going to be great getting over screens due to his body type but just making more help plays but you know i think we're at the age 24 season where wings do develop late but you do have to wonder how much more headroom he really has at this point we can do this one briefly from ryoga Zion basically Zion somehow has the season place with weight concerns injuries. Should the Pelicans pause before offering him the disabled rookie extension? Or sorry, not disabled. <laughs> well, well, that that uh, may end up what it what it actually is. <laughs> but so for me, the only way that I would stop. I would, that would hold me back from offering that is if there was something with Zion that you thought was going to be lingering for, let's say, the next three years to longer in his career. And yeah, the weight stuff is a real concern, but for me, it's more like a knee issue or a foot issue that you think is going to plague him. Because when available, Zion is an absolute force and you can't get players like that. And you also know that if you don't make that offer, then there's he's not going to sign anything else. So then you're basically just saying, we're going we're gonna to game this out and see what happens in terms of restricted free agency or signing and qualifying offer and granted no high-end player to his level has ever even considered that before or at least that we've seen it um ben gordon i believe is the most prominent player to take a qualifying offer but you know i've said the teams are too aggressive giving those high-end you know max max 
extensions. But Zion, you know, he has MVP talent. So I think that you have to have a, you have a different set of standards for him. Yeah, well, I think maybe they can just like borrow Glenn Taylor's office. And then if Zion goes in and promises that he's going to try really hard to get into good condition, then you just offer him the five-year match. There you go. That'll, that'll make you feel better. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think ultimately you just, uh, particularly for a guy who, there is a, a little bit of a thought of like, ooh, hey, shoot, maybe choose on the other foot right now. Hey, you're you're unhappy here. You're going to leave now. You really want us to offer you this? And it, there's maybe there's a little karma there for Pell's fans or whatever. I think still, it, it just depends where he is at the end of the season. And you know, the other thing I should, I would want to do, Danny, is just see how he looks after an off season. Maybe I would wait to do that until he gets into camp. Now that would probably piss him off too. But oh, I, I can guarantee that it would. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean i think that that might be reasonable to say hey you know like you need to come into camp in great shape and then that offer will be there for you like here this is the standard of you know what we want your body fat to be and and etc and you need to, if you come in in that shape here's your five-year max offers on the table for you but again it all depends how he plays the rest of the year and and, and what the leverage is for either side but even even what i'm suggesting i don't necessarily see them doing that and also i mean much depends of course on uh, whether one david griffin is still the one making the, these decisions yep at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, let's do one more here before we go. The Wolves are 11-12, and 12, but on the come, 7-4 and 4 since the last 15-60. Plus 1.6 net rating, 13th in the NBA, 20th on offense. That's a disappointment, but man, their defense, 106, 5th in the NBA. They project for the ninth seed at 40 wins and about 50% chance of making the playoffs in both of the projection systems that we look at. Uh, let's start here with uh, Felix, or uh, I'm sorry, my mistake, Felix Felony. What do you guys see as Anthony Edwards' 90th percentile ceiling now compared to your pre-draft expectations? I don't know that I would change that too much. Um, I have I have one change, and I don't think it's something that gets discussed. I'm more confident on his defensive ability than sure. I was then. Sure, I, I think that, that to and, me has been the biggest revelation of this season is that uh, he's been able to contribute defensively and that he's been a part of a, a, a good defense. You know, still not a perfect defender by any means, but I think you can start to feel better about the idea that he, he could be a meaningful defensive contributor, which he had, had not really shown even the slightest hint of uh, other than like a couple of blocks here and there in his time at Georgia yeah and applying his athleticism and also Edwards has pretty good positional size and I don't think he's to me the idea would be more that he could fit into a system like you have other he's not the best defender you have on the wing but if he's your second best that he's not going to be a point of failure that often and that's a huge positive for a player who's going to shoulder a lot of the offensive burden I'm still skeptical that Edwards can be the kind of every down quarterback of, you know, be the guy who's going to be running the offense 
and generating, you know, like most possessions. I think he could be a very valuable secondary playmaker, and his shooting has been better this year. Yeah, so I mean, he, he's really he, come on, actually. You know, we talked to yeah. a couple of weeks ago about, all right, hey, let's slow down here. 50% true shooting, that's uh, improved quite a bit. He actually now is on pace for better numbers than last year, uh, up to 34% mm-hmm. from three. When you consider also uh, how difficult his shot mix is, it, that's impressive. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think right. he's kind of so, right on track so far this year. Yeah, so I think the in the 90th percentile, maybe he's kind of like a primary or primary ha- half-secondary guy in terms of how often he's running the ball in the half-court, but then he's providing value in all these other ways. And so that's a... I would say that's probably on the... That's in, that's definitely an all-star contention. That might be an all-star just depending oh, oh, his, on how... Wait, we're talking about his 90th percentile outcome, though, Danny. That's... The 90th percentile outcome is way better 90, than Oh, yeah. That's, maybe I'm thinking more like... Maybe I'm thinking more like 70th. Um, I, I mean, I, you know, I think all-star, all-star contention, that might be like 50th percentile to me at this point. Yeah. I mean, he is so athletic like and, and he's he is so athletic and, and, and but i think he's, it's i mean he's, but for a yeah. for a guard who's not running the who's not running it offensively who's not your lead defender yeah. like they're that, but, it's hard for those guys i mean you and i both talked about levine being an all nba consideration yeah. you need to be really good let's also to, consider that he's basically work. a three at this point you know like his ability yeah, to play true. the three now it'd be nice you know like clay thompson style if you could just play him at the two and just have this really big you know to get more wing pieces around him not a lot of teams have that but i think the fact that he can play the three that really improves his value quite a bit as well so sure no, i think you got to feel very good about where he's at as in timberwolves oh so far no doubt but, um, but so, so well, one... well, let's actually answer the 90th percentile outcome question so then it's clearly above average offensive player above average defensive player um which at the wing is very rare and we're we're talking well about like very probably i don't know very good and like I, I, good I, to very good relative yeah, to position I, in both i mean i think his 90th percentile outcome is being a hall of famer wow why wouldn't it be yeah i guess with the i just think it's because like, i mean so do you think that a 90th percentile let's, let's give, that's really high <laughs> that, that's so would you say would you say the same at, at that point in his career for somebody like jalen brown are you saying that you like edwards at this point more than you like oh, jalen oh, at like uh, his, uh yeah, I mean, if you're talking about, because I mean, this whole percentile outcome thing is is obviously a very inexact science, despite the fact that we're using such specific number. Uh, but I mean, I think I would say that Jalen Brown, based on where he was in his second year, I would say that where he's at right now is probably about his 80th percentile outcome. And add another, and I think you know, Jalen Brown is a pretty good comp, I would say, for Edwards. Edwards has more natural shot creation abilities, even more explosive than Brown. Uh, pretty similar measurables. Brown is a little bit, I mean, he was listed at 6'7", but they both have a 7-foot seven, seven wingspan. Um, so, yeah, I think they're, and, and not, neither of them are like, you know, great feel for the game type of guys. Brown was a, a better defender right out of the gate than Edwards. He had to earn his playing time that way, which I, I think helped. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, because, you know, he's already shooting 34% from three. So to me, the 90th on, on, a, on a tough yeah. mix, like it's, this isn't, this isn't just like, you know, popping off, popping so, off. Catch but like 90th things. percentile outcome, that's like a 38, 39% three point shooter on the type of mix that he's talking about. And, you know, he would probably move up to like <laughs> being a over 70% at the rim finisher. He doesn't take very many shots for mid range. He's shown flashes as a passer. So if he could build on that, that'd well, be really and, good. He class. And in 90th percentile. In 90th percentile also edwards is getting to the line more which i think is the other yeah. way that his game can unlock no I, I i think that's a good point all right let's let's do a couple more of these very quickly here before we wrap um, up 
Yeah. So I'm going to do this one from at AJK rate. Um, What have you thought of D'Angelo Russell this year? I've been pretty disappointed. I think that one of the telling stats is that when Russell has been on the floor and Towns has not, the Wolves have not been particularly dangerous offensively. I um, And so overall that they have a 100 offensive rating in those like 500, 476 possessions. They have been very good defensively, which of course we're not giving, giving Edwards a ton or, of credit or Ru- for. Or Russell a ton of credit for. Russell, yeah. sorry. I mean, now there's something to be said for the idea that he's at least not personally sabotaging that yes. defense. But, and but, so, but what, worth, worth noting and, that uh, as well, I think there had been a, at least last I checked a, a couple of weeks ago, there had been a substantial shooting luck component when he was on the floor defensively. Sure. And so I, I think that Russell, he's okay. He The defensive limitations are still there. And, you know, it's it's good that he's been a part of some some competent defensive units. So that that's there. But, and, you know, pick and roll ball handling this year. Um, Wolves are at a point... 0.89 points per possession including his passes when you consider that towns is his most frequent pick and roll partner i think that's a little bit disappointing um but he's so i would say he's 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 been modestly disappointing but that's as somebody who was low on him in the first place yeah the shot making has been disappointing and i, I think there is this idea that he was like this unbelievable passer and offensive engine and he, he i think he has really good vision but again he just doesn't put enough pressure on the defense to create the opening for him to use that vision and yeah i think the fact that they've been a solid defensive team and he hasn't completely torpedoed that it helps a lot but yeah I mean, when you consider that the appeal of russell is his scoring and he's a 51 percent true shooting i think his struggles are a big reason why they've been 20th on offense they probably the biggest re- he and beasley are, are the two most disappointing players there so yeah, I, I think there's uh his free throw rate is still pretty miserable for a, a lead ball handling guard uh now he may just start hitting more three-pointers and he can get really hot but it's just he's just so reliant on difficult jump shot making and when you look at his shot mix just hasn't really improved at all taking a few more from three a few less for mid-range but still never gets to the basket and that's again with you know maybe one of the greatest shooting centers ever playing with him uh mcdaniels is also has really hurt their offense as well but i I think you know if i had to guess i think they'll be better on offense going forward and they're going to be worse i think russell will be better beasley will be better edwards will be about the same or better mcdaniels will be better but you know it's also they're hard pressed to to be quite as good defensively as they have been oh we got a couple questions one from alex monseth one from sam williams on the sustainability of minnesota's defense first things first there is a lot of shooting luck in in the stats so minnesota this year they have the number 26 opponent location effective field goal percentage that means opponents should be shooting like the fifth best they're giving up with the threes that they're giving up they're giving up a lot of shots around the basket and so typically teams make a lot of those shots and they're currently seventh in actual opponent effective field goal percentage and a lot of that is because teams aren't making any threes 32 percent on the season there isn't a reason to to expect that will continue so yeah there is and 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 then the other huge concern that ties in with that is that Minnesota, so you have the four the four factors, and one of those is effective vehicle precision. I just talked about how that is how that one is probably unduly positive for Minnesota. Forcing turnovers, yeah, totally a reason to expect that that will continue. Maybe not to the high watermark of that opening night game that we did, but they've also been the league's worst defensive rebounding team and the league's given up the most opponent free throw attempts per field goal attempt. So if the, basically they're being propped up by two things, one of which is sustainable and one of which is not. So they're better than they've been, but they're not, I don't, the number five defense feels just, this is more 
this is more anomalous than the Knicks was last year. Um, but like was the case with the Knicks last year, if their regression to the mean puts them, let's say, 20th, that's a, or even 15th, that's a whole hell of a lot better than I thought they were going to be. Yeah, so like I said, I think they'll continue to be you know winning between 45 and 50% of their games, and they'll get better on offense and probably a little bit worse on defense. Again, that e-field goal percentage number, you really wonder about that being sustainable. And as we've talked about many times, it's that opponent shot making is really one of the just about the last thing to stabilize stylistic things such as the forcing of turnovers which obviously they're good at and then the fouling and the lack of rebounding those are much more stable than uh, the field goal shooting is all right well that'll do it for this first attempt here at the 15 and 60 mailbag we back a, a little bit later in the week don't forget to join us tomorrow as well for denver and chicago second straight bulls game we're going to be doing danny will be back for the nba cast there uh, as well that'll be a lot of fun and I'm not sure exactly what our potting schedule is going to be. We got to do a news catch up tomorrow. So maybe Tuesday or Wednesday, I think we'll get back to, to the end of this 15 and 60 because we wanted to take a little bit more time, take some more time on some of these teams and questions. So we'll talk to you all then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.